0: you're probably wondering, what in the world is going on? This is not how we do things. We decided today would be the great, uh, the perfect time to uh, to switch things up in the service a little bit. And so uh, this morning, uh, you get me a little bit earlier, and then I'm going to preach to communion today. And uh, then after the sermon, we're going to take communion together. And so uh, just sometimes we can get too comfortable. Sometimes we can get too much of a routine. We expect things, it becomes mundane. So I am here to mess that up for you this morning. So uh, so we'll take communion uh, after the sermon and I'll lead to that. But uh, before we get into the sermon this morning, uh, there's a couple things that I want to uh, lay before you. Uh, one inf- piece of information, one uh, thing that we need to pray about as a church family. So the first thing is this, Um, We're always looking for ways to get men together. Um, There's kind of a certain stigma about men in church and, and doing things together. And so we've got an opportunity for you. Um, On July 21st and 22nd, we are taking a men's camping and kayaking trip to Eminence, Missouri, uh, Current River, and so we would love for you to be a part of that. Um, You can go to either our Facebook page, there's a link to the Church Center sign-up, or if you've got the Church Center app, you can log on there, you'll see the banner for that, click that, uh, and sign up. We have 25 spots, we have eight signed up, uh, so make sure that you do that. We would love to just spend time with you. Uh, What you find is that those are the times where you can start to develop relationships. Uh, In this setting, it's sometimes difficult, uh, but when you get away, when you get together uh, somewhere where you're not familiar with, those are when those relationships seem to happen the most. And so I would love if you'd be a part of that. Uh, Cost is $50 a person, so nothing compared to what a trip normally costs, Uh, but we would love for you to be a part of that man if you so choose to. So uh, make sure you sign up for that. The second thing is, uh, normally I'll get here on Sunday mornings around six, maybe a little bit earlier. I I can't sleep on Sunday morning. So I come in and there's generally no one here. Uh, Today, there was about 50 people here. It was very different welcoming for me, uh, but that's because we have a group of students and a group of adults that have left to head to Joplin, Missouri to the MOVE conference. Um, And so uh, what I would love to do is, is two things. Uh, one, I think before we jump in, we need to pray for the students, for the adults. Uh, this is a life-changing opportunity for them, for God to show up. We simply, or we seem to see stories over and over every year about what God has done in the lives of those students and the adults during MOVE. And so I know this year is going to be no different, uh, but what I want to do is I want to pray for them together. And then after that, as you leave the service today and you go to the Family Life Center, uh, there are some tags, there are black MOVE tags that go on a keychain, uh, right on on a desk outside uh, the door. I would love if you would grab one of those. Um, Each of those has an individual student's name on it. And you can be praying for that student as they go throughout this week. And so um, I'll just tell you this. So I set the bar low for you. Uh, I grabbed one a couple of weeks ago and uh, my student that I've been praying for uh, was in an accident and burned his legs yesterday. So uh, I have, he's fine, he's going on move, but I've set the bar really low. So, so you can do it too. Um, i got to pray a little harder for, for Brennan. Sorry about that, Brennan. But, um, so no, I would love if you would grab that and uh, just be mindful to pray for those students throughout this week. But before we jump in, um, let's, let's spend some time going to God, praying for those students as they go. Father, we just thank you for who you are. Um, God, you are so, so good to us. Uh, Father, you've given us opportunities. You've given us blessings. And, and Father, we, we pray that we don't take those lightly. Um, God, and and the MOVE Conference is one of those blessings. It's one of those opportunities for these students to get outside of their comfort zone, um, to to be with students that they they know and students that they don't know, adults that they may or may not know, and and build these relationships uh, that are centered around you. And so, Father, I I pray that uh, this is more than just a conference I pray that this this feeling is more than just a momentary feeling of closeness to you, and when they get back home, there's a dose of reality. Father, I pray that this is an all-encompassing, life-changing experience for them, that they come to know the grace of Jesus Christ, that they come to accept him as their Lord and Savior and, and pledge to live a life of obedience to him. And so, Father, would you give them that grace as they travel, uh, Lord, as they hear the word taught, as they worship together, Father, may they be uh, just confronted with the fact that you are a good Father who has sent your Son to rescue us and so father we just pray that the lives of those students are changed and father that by extension our church is changed because you're working in them so father be with them be with the adults give them the grace as they tackle some uncomfortable conversations as they deal with hard topics Uh, father we know that you are merciful and I pray that you'll give them that as well father it is in your precious and holy name that we pray these things amen Well, in in the spirit of changing things, um, this morning I had a whole lot more uh, on my iPad as I came in. We were scheduled to work through 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2. And as I started reading it, I realized, man, there is way, way too much in this to cover over one weekend. And so uh, we're going to extend the sermon or the, the series out, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, depending on how it all plays out. But I want to focus on two verses this morning. So we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter two. And we're going to tackle verses one and two. And in that, there's enough for an entire sermon series, but we're going to try to tackle that this morning. So let's establish the context. If you were here in week one, we said, here's the things going on as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And so if you remember, we said that that Paul is writing this, his last letter, a mere days or weeks before his execution. And when you understand that, you start to see why Paul takes the tone that he does. When you read 2 Timothy, you can start to see there's, there's a sense of urgency here. There's, there's something going on that's different than some of Paul's other letters, and it's because Paul recognizes time is short. I have a message to communicate, and I don't have a lot of time to say it, and so you can start to sense that in this letter. And, and Paul's encouragement to Timothy is to start by telling a little bit of his own story. He reminds Timothy, listen, I, I've, I've poured everything out for the gospel my life has been an offering for Jesus Christ in that I, I have nothing left. And we laid out the laundry list of things that Paul has experienced in his ministry. The persecution, the hardships that he has faced because of his belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy, I've suffered for the gospel. Even as I write this, I'm in chains, but it's worth it. And that's why he has a sense of urgency that he does. It says, don't don't mind the chains, don't mind the beatings, don't mind the prison cell. It is all worth it to make Jesus known. So that kind of sets the scene for where he writes the rest of his letter. And so now we've started to see different things that Paul has said, like in, in light of this persecution, remember to fan into flame the gift that's been given you. Paul says, your mother, your grandmother, they've established this foundation of faith. And now in my relationship with you, Timothy, we've we've expanded upon that. You've grown, you've matured. And we recognize that Paul says, now I'm I'm passing the baton to you. And so if you remember in, in week one, we said that Timothy is pastoring in a difficult place to pastor to. He's pastoring in the city of Ephesus, a a city that is known for its idol worship, a, a city that, as we looked at Paul's story, a little bit of his time in Ephesus in week one, you know that it's a little hostile to Christianity, especially when the claim about Jesus is made that he is the exclusive way to salvation. If you remember, we said that the Ephesians were like, no, we don't have a problem with Jesus. Add him to the list of gods that we worship. But Paul wasn't interested in Jesus being a God to worship. He's reminding them Jesus is the way. Jesus is the source of salvation. Throw away all these other gods. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus is the one true God. And so Paul gets back to the task at hand now in chapter two, verse one. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We could spend weeks on just this verse. There's a couple of things in here that I want to show you. I, I told the tech team and I told some of the others that, uh, hey, I've, I've really cut down like three quarters of my sermon this morning. And they said, oh, so it's going to be shorter. I said, it's not what I said. I just said I took, took some of the text away. So there's a lot to cover here. We're going to try to do it as timely as we can. Uh, let me read it again: You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." And what Paul is doing is he's indicating the relationship between him and Timothy. When he calls him "My Son," what you need to understand is, is Paul and Timothy have spent a ton of time together. Timothy has gone on at least two of Paul's missionary journeys. Timothy has seen Paul's teaching. He's seen the way he's interacted with all these people. He's seen Paul plant churches. Timothy has been raised up in the ministry under Paul. But there's something special about the wording that Paul uses. When he says, my son, it indicates this deeper level of relationship. Not just someone who has been impacted by the ministry of Paul, not just somebody who has sat and watched, what you're seeing is a discipleship relationship being given a name. Paul calls Timothy my son, meaning my my spiritual son, the one I've spent time with, the one I've poured into, the one I've given my relationship with Christ and, and shown him how this relationship is to be lived out. There is something special about the relationship that Paul is indicating here. I mean, again, think about what Timothy has seen. He's seen the crowds of people that have listened to Paul's sermons hundreds, thousands. He's seen the numerous churches that Paul has planted. He's seen the thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ through Paul's teaching, through Paul's leadership. And yet, What often goes missing when we think about a a guy like Paul, who has done all of these things for the kingdom, the thing that we often miss is what he's indicating here, is the intimate one-on-one relationship of discipleship. We often get caught up in the crowds, and we miss That the best ministry is done in a one-on-one or a small context. This is not just something that we should do. What you're going to see as we look at the text more is that this is what you and I are called to do. So what's missing in this is the hours and hours of personal discipleship that Paul has invested in young men like Timothy. This is what is missing in this. We, we see the crowds, we see the church's plan. and in fact, you and I are recipients of the Gospel of Jesus Christ because of men like Paul, because they brought the gospel to Gentiles like us, and it has now trickled down to Louisville, Illinois. But what it goes missing in our minds is that this man poured hours and hours of one-on-one time into spiritual sons like Timothy. Here's the problem. By and large, we have lost the art of discipleship. This one-on-one doing life together, which I said it and I hate that cliche, but but, but getting involved in people's lives, we've lost it. Let me tell you why. In the age of megachurches, massive Christian conferences and lives that revolve around screens, discipleship is often the first on the chopping block. The reason why is because we have crafted a way of doing church that has allowed for people to remain anonymous. Something the church was never called to be. But what we have done is we've, we've crafted this idea, especially in, in the Western context, of doing church in a way that I would call performance Christianity. I said this numerous times. Performance Christianity would have you believe that my job is to preach the word and your job is to sit and listen, and that that is the extent of what you and I bring to the equation in this community we call church. And while that's that's an element of it, it's not the entire thing. Far from it. And in fact, if this is what we build church to be, then then we've missed the call of Jesus entirely. Certainly there is an element of preaching the word. We're here to worship God, to glorify Jesus, to hear God's word taught. But that's not the end goal. We're here to do those things so that when you and I leave, and we go to the spheres of influence that God has called us to, Where we scatter, wherever God has placed us, you and I are equipped to make disciples. And my fear is that we've made that an option. My fear is that we've looked at the word of God and we've said, I I like this. I have no problem sitting and and listening to the word, but man, to go and make disciples, that's uncomfortable. That's difficult. That's messy. And so we've, we've crafted this way of doing church to where that is removed from our plates. That, that your job is just to sit and listen and make sure you come back in another seven days and do it again. What a shallow existence. What a, what a shell of what Christianity and what the church is called to be. If, if this is the model that we've bought into, we've missed it. We've missed out on what we're called to be. And by extension, you've missed out on the blessing of what Christ has called you and I to do. So what has he called us to do? I, I think it is very clear. Matthew 28, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend, he, he gives his parting words to his disciples So this isn't just a message for them. This is the message for all those who would believe in Jesus following this time as well. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, many of you know this, and here's here's what we're going to try to do. To get it from our head to our hands. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Stop and, and take that in for a moment. What Jesus is saying is I am the one who establishes the way that life should be lived. I'm the creator. I'm the sustainer. I am the one who, who declares this is how life is to be lived, especially for believers. These are, this is the lane. This is the mission I'm giving you. And, and whose authority? It, it's all mine. So he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's no caveat in there. There's no way around it. There's no clause that says, When you feel like it, when it's it's comfortable, make disciples. The call to believers is to make disciples. There's there's no way around this. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who makes disciples. And the problem is this. We've, We've removed that. We've, we've given the title of disciple, something that we can hang on our social media banner and yet remove ourselves from actually living it. And, and here's what I want you to know. That if this convicts no one else, it sure did me. That I realize I, I've made this an option. And there is no optional clause in this. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, then this is how we expand. This is how the kingdom moves forward by me working through you and you making disciples. No way around it. And the danger that I see is that we've removed that responsibility from every believer, which is where Jesus clearly places it. We've removed it from every believer. And we've moved it onto the plate that we perceive as professionals. So now discipleship is something that comes with a theological degree. Now discipleship is something that you, you earn your way to. Like If you stand before people and preach, then you can make disciples. But the call of Jesus is that it's everyone, it's every believer is called to pour in to the lives of those around. This is not a job reserved for the professional. It's a mission given to everyone who would proclaim the name of Jesus. And the problem that comes is when we take this approach of of passing it on to the people that we perceive as, as higher theologically than us, here's what happens we're able to stay comfortable. We're pretty comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable I can hear a convicting message I could be motivated in a moment I can maybe feel bad for my sin for a while at least while I'm in this building but I don't have to get involved in anyone's life I, I, I can I can compartmentalize now like This is the place where, where I talk about Jesus. This is the place where I repent of my sins. This, this is the place where all of this discipleship happens. And then I can, I can live however I want the rest of the six and a half days of the week. And what it's done is it's distorted the Great Commission. It shortened it. Because when discipleship is now taken off the plate... What happens is excuse me what happens is that now baptism becomes the end goal. One of the things that I'll tell people when, when I'm getting ready to baptize them, as we stand there and, and pray and, and kind of get ready, I'll tell them, "I want you to understand this. This is not the finish line. This is the beginning. This is when discipleship starts. This is, this is where someone should be pouring into you. And you, in turn, should be pouring into someone else. But we've, we've distorted the Great Commission to remove discipleship, and now, simply believing and confessing and going into the waters of baptism is the end. And it's no wonder that we've become a culture that buys into this lie of, well, now I can do whatever I want. I, I've come in, I've gotten saved, I've been baptized. Now I live how I want. There's, there's no continual repentance. There's no need for obedience. There's no need to get involved in the lives of others when discipleship is removed from the plate. And this is how the Western church has functioned for a long time. We've taken the model of get them in, get them saved, and move them along. It's a poor method of discipleship the statistics of students who are raised in church and then bolt the second they graduate is staggering. I think a lot of it can be traced back to this. We, we've said that church is, is the place where you sit, you be quiet, you listen to the message, and there's nothing else required of you. No life change No pouring into the lives of others. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder that they fall away. Because we're not accomplishing the great commission as Christ told us, as Christ commanded us. And so, as Paul says to Timothy, my son, I'll ask the question of you who are your spiritual sons? Who are your spiritual daughters? Who, who have you intentionally taken the time to pour into? I've got a hard time finding that in my life. And as I, I look at the Great Commission, as I see the life of Paul and Timothy and the, the, the close nature that they had, one of, one of accountability, one of encouragement, one of correction, one of teaching— I think I've dropped the ball. This isn't a suggestion, church. This is what Christ has commanded us to do. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. Right? And, and, and what I found is, is this. Discipleship and, and pouring into the lives of others has always been uncomfortable. It's always been somewhat difficult but over the last three years it has gotten increasingly difficult. Because what I found is is that through the pandemic we we, we wanted to stay away from people and, and sometimes rightfully so. But as I talk to you and I, I examine my own life, what I see is that for some of us that's continued. We we still treat people like yeah, stay at an arm's distance. And the way we communicate to one another has rapidly changed. Everything is surface level. If, if, if we can't avoid you entirely, we're going to keep it surface level so that I don't have to get involved. Because here's the culture that's been created. If, if you or I disagree on something, especially something trivial, then, then I, can't, I can't have a relationship with you anymore. And so what we've done is we've removed ourselves from having that pain of of finding out maybe somebody doesn't believe exactly what I believe and and so we've tried to surround ourselves with those who think and look and act just like us so that we know it's safe. Discipleship is messy. Discipleship is uncomfortable. But discipleship is non-negotiable. And so I'll ask us again, who are we pouring into? Who who are we proclaiming the name of Jesus to? Who are we teaching through the word? Who are we encouraging? Who are we holding accountable? This is the requirement of those who believe. The second half of verse one gives Timothy the encouragement that he needs. This is, this is the why. He says in the second half of verse one, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the point that Paul is trying to make here is this. Remember what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done for you. That he's removed death from the equation for those who would believe. So how are you able to move into these discipleship relationships? Well, it's by stepping back and remembering Jesus has freed me from my sin. Jesus has given me life, not not just now, but forever. What else stands in our way then? And as it relates to discipleship, here's what we do. And and again, all of this seems to come from my own heart. So whether whether you recognize this or not in your life, I don't know, but I do in mine. That discipleship takes a back seat when I do one of two things, and this is exactly why. When I maximize the temporary things and I minimize the eternal things, discipleship is easily able to be pushed. When I maximize the temporary things, then here's what takes the forefront of my mind. This is uncomfortable. What are they gonna think about me? Am I gonna lose friendships or relationships over this? And I've, I've elevated that into be the main thing, and all the while I have minimized what hangs over the head of every single person that death is awaiting, that death is coming. And I've minimized that when I'm, I'm scared of pursuing a discipleship relationship with someone because what I'm saying is my comfortability is way more important than your eternity We don't like to say that, but it's it's what we're declaring. That how I feel in this moment is vastly superior to where you spend forever. Discipleship is not an option. Verse 2. Paul says this, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is how the gospel spreads. You you step back and you look at the world and what I would guess is as you watch the news and, and you hear things on social media, you think, what has happened? What's happened? A part of it, while, while we live in a spiritual battle, and I think this is a byproduct of that, a part of that is believers who don't take the spiritual battle that we're in and the eternity that's in, at stake seriously. Because when we don't, we can step back, we can complain. We can gripe about the way it goes to, to one another, but we don't want to step in to the mess. We don't want to step into people's lives and, and proclaim, this is the way to be saved. This is the truth of God's word. This is, this is what he speaks about how things are ordered. This is the way he's called us to live. But when discipleship is taken a back seat, it's no wonder that other things step in and fill the gap. And so Paul says this. He says, listen, Timothy, you've you've heard me preach the word. You've heard me preach the truth of who God is and how he's called us to live. As a result, what is your mission? Well, it's it's to teach other men that. It's to teach other men the word of God. It's to teach their families the word of God so that they teach and live in accordance with that. This is how the gospel spreads. And and so let let me just say this, and we'll wrap it up here in just a second. That replication has to come through the word. This is the foundation that we stand upon. This is the truth that we teach. It has to come through this. So it's not self-help, it's not some some good moral things. It is the word of God. It is men who will pour into younger men and teach them the word of God. So they will stand and proclaim that to wherever God has called them. It is those men who will go and teach and lead their families in accordance with the word of God and continue to replicate. This is how it happens. So let me say this that it pertains to the church. Red Brush specifically. I told our staff this the other day. I, I love that our church is growing. And any, any pastor who says they don't want to see more people come to church is a liar. You want to see more people. However, if it is people just to have people, and it's not those growing in their faith and communicating the gospel and seeing it replicate through us, it is all worthless. Then we're simply in the business of trying to draw the biggest crowd. If to pursue a discipleship model in our church, it means we thin down, so be it. Give me a hundred people who are equipped to share the gospel and go share it as opposed to a thousand who just want to sit and be entertained. Because this is the most important. And so Paul has said, Timothy, preach the word. Teach other men to preach the word. Teach those men to lead their families. Teach their families to open up their lives and to communicate the truth of who God is and what Jesus has done to other families. This is how the gospel spreads, but it takes you and I getting uncomfortable. What would it look like if 50 years, 100 years down the road, there were churches all over our area and beyond. Because we took this call seriously. To train men to teach. To teach at Redbrush, to, to, to go and, and scatter and, and plant churches and, and share the gospel beyond. What would that look like? To see families Who recognize that the gifts that God has given them are meant to be a vessel by which the gospel is shared. Your home. This is one of the things that Janelle and I have have realized over the course of our lives. Our home is it's it's a gift. It's a gift to be used for sharing the gospel. It's a gift to be used to minister to people. It's a gift to be used to open up our homes and have a meal with somebody and build relationships. God has given you those gifts as well. I remember the first time we opened up our home to somebody and and they came in, gosh, it was so uncomfortable. And I I grew up in a time where people walking in your front door unannounced was really no big deal. We trusted people back then. And I found, as, as I've gotten older, I've, I've started to recoil more and become a lot more private. And so the first time we opened up our home, we, we, didn't, we didn't know what in the world we were doing. But here's what happened. That when we're simply obedient to open up our lives to people, what I found is that it's, it's not based on the right things that we say. It's not based on how clean our house was. Nobody was saved by a clean floor. God seems to work in those moments where we're just obedient. Just just walk in obedience to him. Open up your lives. Go and have those conversations. Is it going to be awkward? Yep. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. But don't discredit What God can do through those? What would it look like for you? If you looked at the gifts that God has given you as tools to share the gospel. I think what you'll see is it will rapidly change your life because it does a couple things. One, it forces you to take inventory of what actually matters. Maybe you do need to clear off your calendar a little bit. Maybe you do need to say no to a couple sports teams. Maybe you do need to say no to a third night out. There are things that we reorient our calendar around, and we do those around the things that matter the most to us. And as believers, what Jesus has called us to is open up our lives and make disciples. So the question is why? Why? Why do we obey? Why do we follow what he's called to do? Well, we follow him because he's where life is found. This is why Paul establishes what he does early on in 2 Timothy. That Jesus is where life is found. It's found on him hanging on the cross. It's found through his shed blood. It's found through his broken body. Like When you actually see who you are before Christ... And see that that I am a sinner that is deserving of the wrath of God being poured out on me. When I recognize that is true of me. And yet at the same time I I see the cross. I see the empty tomb. I recognize that has been done in my place. I realize I've got nowhere else to turn. This is the way to be saved. And when I see that, I recognize that that what follows is I want to do and I don't want to live the life that he's called me to. So in just a moment, we're going to take communion. It's a celebration of what Christ has done. He's he set us free. For those who have believed in him, the cross is freedom. The empty tomb is a sign of things to come for us. Life never ends because of him. And as a result, we are called to be a people who live our lives in obedience to the one who has saved us. Difficult, yeah. Messy, absolutely. Worth it, 100%. The question is, is will we take that step? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. as it directs our lives, as it calls us to obedience and discipleship, as it calls us to the life we're called to live. And we recognize that all of that is an outflow of what you've done on the cross. That your broken body, your shed blood should have been ours. That the burial should have been ours. And yet, because of what you did on that day, the empty tomb is a sign of things to come for us so Father we praise you for that Lord help us help us to make much of the things that matter help us to minimize the things that are trivial the things that last a moment and are gone and so Lord may your Holy Spirit convict us of the things we need to discard the things that we need to put at the forefront of our lives because of what you've done on the cross. As fathers, we celebrate through communion. We, we're declaring that we put our trust in you. And that we believe when you say you are the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through you, we, we believe you. And so we celebrate that together. Father, it is in your holy and precious name that we pray these things. Amen.